Hey guys, how's it going? Good morning. If you guys can find a seat, if you can find a seat, that would be great. Good job. Don found a seat. I'm very proud. Spend most of our time trying to get you guys to fellowship, and then as soon as it starts, we're like, you guys go sit down. Uh, let me address a couple things really quick. First thing, your worship thought says first Ecclesiastes. There's not a second. So, <laughs> my bad. Um, we're in First Thessalonians, though. So if you can turn your Bibles there to First Thessalonians. Other thing is, if you're not using your device, your iPad, your phone for Scripture this morning, if you can do me a favor, hit that little crescent moon, and then that'll put it on Do Not Disturb. That way we can just commit to being together in this room, in this time, in this place as we worship through God's Word. Um, so yeah, good to see you guys. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in front of you. The seats that don't have stuff in the pockets, underneath those ones there's a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that home with you as our gift to you. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, we finished the first four and a half verses last week. And we're going to go from 5b through 10 today. Uh, interesting passage of scripture. Paul's speaking to this church in Thessalonica that has become imitators of Paul uh, in his ministry, in his conduct, in his walk. And they have, in doing so, become evangelists, started sharing the gospel with others. And, and they've seen this thing spread. And as we come to this passage, I want us to think through how have we responded to receiving the word? How have we as believers responded? Um, we, we, we carry good news with us, and we, we have uh, the, the message that changes lives, that changes eternities. And so how do we then respond uh, because of that message? I, embarrassing fact about me, I started playing Pokemon Go. Um, so Monday is my day off. I was walking through the park uh, about a week ago Monday because there's... Anyway, uh, there's, <laughs> there's a reason um, if you play it, it's not really relevant. Walking through the park, there's a guy who was, looked like he was on drugs. And uh, I walk past him, and he looks to me and he says, Beautiful day we're having, isn't it? And I said, Yeah, it is. And I looked down at my phone and kept walking. And, like, you guys ever do that thing where you live life and you just miss an opportunity and the conviction of the Spirit just like, boom. So I walk past him, like, Yeah. And all of a sudden, I started thinking, this guy who I walked past and judged was a better evangelist of the day we were having than I was of the good news of Christ. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> the Holy Spirit uh, convicted me, and, and God is so, so merciful and gracious to us that even in these moments, uh, we, we can turn back to him and we have forgiveness. That's basically where Paul's heart is, that people would be responding to this, that people would be having their lives changed, and because of this changed life, they would be sharing the gospel. So come with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to read the whole verse so we have the context. I'll actually start in verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Page does not want to stay. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So point number one in your notes there, Paul proved to be a man of integrity worth imitating. Paul proved to be a man of integrity worth imitating. See, Paul's life was 
dictated and changed by the fact that he believed in the life-changing power of the gospel. And that was shown through the way he lived his life, the way he communicated, he walked, he ate. He was there for a long time. If Paul was going to slip up, he would have. And Paul attests to this fact that he was a man of integrity, showing that he had been changed by this power of the gospel, not because of his work, not because he grit his teeth and, and worked hard enough to have his life changed, but because of the conviction of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit indwelt him and so empowered Paul to live a life this way. I think sometimes we look at Scripture and we see Paul's life and we say, wow, Paul's amazing. I could never do that. But you know what? Paul had the same Holy Spirit in him that you have in you. He, he calls it the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. This Spirit of power this spirit of conviction, this spirit that enables us to live a life pleasing to God. And Paul had that. And he looks at his life in front of the Thessalonians and says, you know how I lived. You know how I lived. There's not really a question in there. That, that this spirit changed his life and impacted the way he lived. So natural, relevant question here. How has the spirit impacted your life? How has he changed the way that you live? Is it noticeable? Are you falling back on the, well, people know I'm a Christian? Are you sharing the good news with people? Or do you do what I did and just walk past the guy in the park who needs the good news? See, we can claim to be Christians, um, but show no evidence of the case. Paul claimed to be a Christian claimed to be full of the Spirit, and his life was evidenced by this change. And that evidence changed is what ended up bringing people to the gospel, people to salvation. Letter A, the Thessalonians imitated Paul, and most importantly, the Lord. Most importantly, the Lord. Verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Spirit. We'll get to that last part in a second here. Um, but Paul says, remember Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are writing this letter to the Thessalonians, and he says, you became imitators of us. You watched how we lived. They didn't say, well, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they're kind of like the pastors or the leaders, so their job is going to be to share the gospel or to live in this way, and we're just going to be nominal people who just sit there and listen and receive this word and have no visual change of the sort. No, they saw that and they said, wow, God is powerful. He changed lives. He changed hearts. And so then how do we respond? And they became imitators of Paul. They watched, wow, this guy knows how Jesus lived. This guy's life reflected that. And so then they became imitators and said, let's live in the same manner. Let's live in the same way. Not saying Paul has a different calling. He's an apostle. But saying, Geez, if that's what the Holy Spirit does in people's lives, maybe that's how we should be living as well. Paul was a man of integrity, worth being imitated. Worth being imitated. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And of the Lord. Sometimes I think it's, it's hard as a Christian in the church because um, we start comparing ourselves to other people. We start looking around the room and saying, well, I'll never be as holy as that person. I'll never, never be as close to God as that person. And, and I'll just settle with what I have. You thought of imitating those people? Have you thought of comparing yourself to Scripture? Comparing yourself to Jesus? 
how does this then reflect in our lives as we're changed by God's word, as we become imitators of him? Also, check out Paul's heart for these Thessalonians. Uh, we're going through 1 Corinthians on Thursday nights with the youth, uh, and it's interesting because Paul has this huge stack of things that the Corinthians are doing. Somebody's taken their, their, hus- their uh, father's wife as their own, and they're proud of it. And, and there's sin rampant in the church and lawsuits and all these things going on. And Paul starts off the letter by saying, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, how he loves them, how he shows them his heart for them. And in Thessalonians, it's not much different because Paul here is pouring out this heart that he has for these people, that he loves them, and he's, he's encouraging them and exhorting them to continue in the path that they're going, that they became imitators of Paul and also of the Lord Jesus. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And Paul sees that and notices that and says, yes, keep doing that thing. Keep pursuing Jesus. Keep imitating Paul as he pursues Jesus as well talked about this before but there's a difference between encouragement and flattery flattery is something that's like uh uh, what we call a lie and sinful um so here's an example if you come up to me and for some reason i'm dancing uh and you're like wow aj you're a great dancer i that's called flattery i'm not a great dancer if you are in high school and you were at wildwood that one year where i had to dance in front of everyone you know that i'm not a great dancer That's flattery. That's bad. Now, if I were to be at Second Harvest on a Saturday morning and I were to see people carrying and and working hard and not complaining, and I were to say, Nate, I notice how you haven't complained. I notice how you're working hard and and you're, you're cheerful as you work. Good work. Keep it up. That's encouragement. That's encouragement. Not for the purpose of just, uh, falsely building my brother up, but for the purpose of Noticing good things and saying, keep doing that. Keep pursuing Jesus. Encouragement is necessary. And Paul just exudes that here. He, he pours it out. Continuing on, verse 6, he says, You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me give you letter B there, and then I'll unpack this a little bit. Despite their affliction, they received the word with joy. Despite their affliction, they received the word with joy. Circumstances that the Thessalonians uh, became believers were not easy circumstances. Uh, Experiencing persecution, experiencing uh, difficulties economically, they, they received the word still and received it with joy because of the Holy Spirit with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, in, in our culture today, we, can, we, we have these two words that we kind of use interchangeably. They're happiness and joy. And we kind of just like mix those together, and they're kind of the same word to us. Um, but I believe the Scripture uses them differently. In fact, you won't really see happiness named as a thing that people are desired to have. But you will see joy as something that's desired to be had, and even an evidence of being filled with the Spirit. And so here you see there's much affliction in the Thessalonians as they receive the word. That sounds pretty terrible. It doesn't sound like a very happy moment. Like when you're going through difficulties or darkness or affliction, whatever it may be, you're not usually like, I'm so grateful for this difficulty. But they received it with joy. 
because they had the good news of the Holy Spirit. See, joy uh, is a lasting state of being that is found only in Jesus. It's a lasting state that is found in Jesus. Happiness is a fleeting emotion. You can be happy over something. Um, A good example would be Houston Astros fans in 2017 were pretty happy over winning the World Series. Probably not so happy now after they got caught cheating. Um, Yeah, deserved punishment. Uh, Maybe a little bit more. We can talk about that offline. Uh, (laughs) See, happiness and joy are different. Uh, their, 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 their current state is not currently happy as they reminisce about the fact that their team cheated. Joy is lasting, though. Joy is something that during difficulties you fall back on and say, you know what, I trust in the Lord. Something like, like Job did in Job chapter 1, right? Where Job starts to lose everything. And things are being taken away from him. And he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you think Job was happy in that moment? That would be very inappropriate if he was happy in that moment. But no, he experienced joy because he knew who his God was. He knew who he served. And so in that moment, he experienced joy. There are some difficult, dark things going on in this room. And I know that. I know that there are people dealing with cancer, people dealing with uh, difficult circumstances that are coming up and loss of jobs or difficulties at work or difficulties with family or any kind of trauma in this room, fall back on the joy of the Spirit. Fall back on this joy that you have in the Holy Spirit. Here's the truth about these circumstances. They're temporary and fleeting. Eternity is on the horizon. And that lasts forever. We see a description in Revelation 21 and 22 of, of what exactly this eternity is like. We see that there's no more crying or weeping or pain anymore for the former things have gone and there is joy forevermore because we are in the presence of our Savior, in the presence of our King. That's good news. Puts things into perspective as we go through difficulties in life. Whatever it may be, God's one. He has the victory. If you're found in him, you partake in that victory as a son or daughter of the king. Let's continue on in this second section. The gospel spreads for the glory of God. The gospel spreads for the glory of God. First Thessalonians 5, 7-10. through 10. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This gospel spread because... God is going to be glorified. They're waiting for his son to return from heaven. They've turned from idols. They've served the living and true God. And God is glorified through that. God gets the glory. It's incredible, this section where 
Paul looks at this and he says, you guys, your reputation has gone forth in Macedonia and Achaia. Something that would be something like two weeks journey from where they're at. Somewhere Paul hadn't yet been. And he's like, your reputation, you, you guys are ahead of me here. Like you, you, you've believed in this gospel. It's changed your life. And so people way south of you are currently believing and are having their lives changed also by this gospel. Incredible. Incredible things are happening. Did you know, this is a random fact for you, Paul never once in any of his letters says preach the gospel. You know that? It's not in there. You can look through Paul's letters, he never says preach the gospel. Here's why. It's assumed as a believer that this is what you will be doing, that you will be preaching the gospel. If it's changed your life and impacted you in such a way, you will be preaching the gospel. And so Paul didn't say, well, hold on, Thessalonians. This is my ministry, and you're kind of overstepping here. This was my zone. I was going to go there, and I was going to get the glory. No, Paul looks at them and is like, this is incredible. The gospel is spreading. People all over are believing in the good news, and God is getting the glory. Paul didn't have territory, and he wasn't like, I need to win this number of souls because I want to get the glory for me. No, Paul looked ahead and was like, Wow, God's word is spreading. That's incredible. That's incredible. People are preaching the gospel. People are sharing the good news. People are believing. People are believing. This assumed thing that believers should do, it's happening. And it's evidence that their lives have been changed by this gospel. This evidence is furthered by the fact that God is receiving the glory, that people are being changed. See, this message that we have called the gospel, this good news, it's life-changing. And as we live our lives and share this good news, it changes other people's lives. Not because we use eloquence or, or perfect words or we've said it perfectly and made the perfect argument, but rather because the Holy Spirit works. You just need to preach the gospel. You need to share the good news. You need to share the good news. It's changed our lives. This can look a lot of different ways for us as we, as we go about lives. It could be in work mentioning that you're going to be praying for somebody. It could be in school being that light in somebody's life as they're going through difficulty, not merely throwing platitudes at them, but rather sitting with them in it, praying with them in it, leading them toward the truth. Uh, it can look like in your family, showing your reliance on God in the midst of difficult circumstances. As you go through troubles, as you go through difficulties, are you chaotic? Are you freaking out? Or are you relying and falling back on the truth of the gospel that it changes lives? Letter A there under number four. The Thessalonians received the word and shared it because it changed their eternity. Verses 7 through 8. Thessalonians received the word and they shared it because it changed their eternity. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone, faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So that we need not say anything. Um, there's this 
there's this assumed place in the church today, and I've talked about this before, where if you are becoming interested in scripture or theology or church history or whatever it may be, usually those people get diverted and relegated to like, you'll be a missionary or you'll be a pastor and you'll teach all the people. Whereas those things should actually be assumed for a believer. A a love for God and his word. I have a friend who will just ask people randomly and be like, what are you reading right now in scripture? Because it's assumed that you should be reading in scripture. Uh, If you're a believer, you should be falling back on the book that dictates your life and how your life has been changed by this. Are you reading in scripture? Where are you reading in scripture? Uh, These people, their lives were reflected and changed by the word of God the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And so their lives reflected that change. And this beautiful good news then was shared with all these people all over the place. They went sharing it because they knew that there was life-changing, transforming power found in the gospel of Christ. That as they went forth in their, in their trades or whatever it was that they were doing, their jobs, their work, their travels, this good news just poured out of them. They weren't like, I found this great thing and I'm going to share it for myself and not share it with anyone. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> I love how that's like ingrained. It's like, no! <laughs> um, yeah. Let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Um, gospel has power. It has authority. It changes lives. I think and I see this a lot in youth sometimes, but I think that we go forward in our lives and we have this life-changing power and we're like, but what if we say it wrong? Or what if we mess it up? What if we don't quite get the words right and we convert them to some other religion on accident? That's not going to happen. The Holy Spirit works through you. The Holy Spirit is the one who has the power to change lives, not you. And so do you trust the Holy Spirit? Do you just preach the gospel because it's good news that changed your life as well? Trust the Holy Spirit. Trust that he is the one who changes lives. That it's his message that will go forth. That it's his power and his authority. See, they received the word. They shared it. It changed their eternity. They understood this. They understood that their lives were never going to be the same because they came into contact with Jesus. Look through the Gospels and watch everyone Jesus comes into contact with. How their lives are changed. Over and over, the blind man receiving sight, the lame man walking, the leper being healed, the paralyzed man being healed, Lazarus being raised from the dead, whatever it is, these signs just prove the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God in our lives. Even today, that if, if your circumstance is so difficult, if you're dealing with difficulties in your family, whether it be cancer or, or loss of jobs or whatever trauma you've gone through, whatever it is, if you're dealing with that, understand that the Holy Spirit is powerful. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm just saying it's not going to be meaningless. Your circumstances aren't accidents to God. He uses them for his glory, for his purposes. As horrible and terrible as this world can be sometimes, as dark as you might feel, we have hope that we can find joy in the Spirit of God. That God isn't a watchmaker who's standing back and not involved in our lives, but rather intimately involved so much so that he gave you the Holy Spirit to indwell you. That he knows what you need 
and the Holy Spirit intercedes with grumblings too wonderful for words when you can't think of the words, you have that spirit living inside you. And you can have joy even in the midst of affliction or difficulty. Let's share that good news. Let's share that word. Finally, letter B on point two. Turning from idols was paramount to their sanctification. Turning from idols was paramount to their sanctification. I snuck that one in there because I knew the rest of them were all easy. And you were probably like, I know this blank, and I threw the word paramount in there just to throw you off. (laughs) Got you good. All right. Um, I got too much amusement out of that as I wrote that. Um, (laughs) I had to share it with you. Uh, Nine and ten. For they themselves report to us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Turning from idols was paramount to their sanctification. Paul receives news of how the Thessalonians are doing. And Paul receives news from churches all the time and how they're doing. And a lot of times he's just like, oh my gosh, why are you doing that? And then he writes a letter called 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. And it's like, please turn from these things. Please turn. And he receives this news from the Thessalonians and he hears they're sharing the gospel. They're sharing the good news because it's actually taken root and impacted their lives. They're changed because of this. They didn't just become pew sitters or chair sitters on a Sunday morning, but rather they heard the good news and were like, I need to act on this because this has changed my life. This has changed my life. Whatever that looks like for you. For them, it was turning from idols. They turned from these things and they worshiped the true and living God because nothing would ever be the same for them. The person who found a treasure hidden in the field sells all he has and goes and buys that field because that's where the treasure is. As we hear the good news of Jesus, as we see his life-transforming power found in the gospel, are we willing to sell everything we have? Are we willing to sell everything we have and turn to him? He's worth it. Thessalonians noticed that right away. They were like, idols, they're gone. They're gone. We're turning from these things. These are worthless. They never did anything for us. They weren't going to become evangelists of their idols. Rather, they were going to turn and see Jesus and be like, this changed my life. This is everything to me. I'm going to turn. I'm going to worship him. Everyone's going to know about this because this is good news. This is life-changing, life-transforming good news. Sometimes we share the good news of essential oils or Weight Watchers or whatever else it may be, the new iPhone update or whatever it is, and we forget to share the good news of Jesus. We say things like, wow, this... This has changed my life. It's made everything so much easier. And we forget, I wouldn't even have life if it weren't for Jesus. I wouldn't have breath in my lungs. I wouldn't be sustained by his word. It's his grace that woke you up this morning. It's his mercy that gives you breath in your lungs. It's his goodness. Uh, he, God pours out his wrath on his son in your place, in my place. Out of his love for us. Because even while we were still sinners, Christ died. While we were enemies of God, Jesus died. He rose again, proving that he had defeated sin and death. 
And now he, he ascends and sits at the right hand of the Father forevermore where he makes intercession for us in prayer. That we have an advocate, we have a mediator in heaven, Jesus, the living and true God, who sits at the right hand of the Father and says, do you know my son? Do you know my daughter? Let me tell you. They received this report of how they had turned to God from idols. They served the living and true God. We can look over these, this phrase, living and true, and just say, yeah, God's living and he's true. Very cool. Um, but there's a lot of false and dead idols that we serve in our lives. Our hearts are idol factories. Uh, I can't place where that was. John Stott? John Calvin? One of those Johns. <laughs> a lot of them in church history. <laughs> um, our hearts are idol factories, constantly producing idols, constantly pulling us to turn away from who God is, from his character. The fact that we serve a living and true God means that we should be turning from idols as often as we can and turning to Jesus. Those temporary things that we turn to, to maybe help take away a little bit of the pain occasionally, aren't lasting things. This is why I often think that the pursuit of happiness is a futile pursuit. Uh, read First Ecclesiastes sometime. You can't pursue happiness. It's the chasing after wind, as Solomon says. You're not going to catch it. You're going to spend your whole life seeking after this ideal that you've made up in your head. Meanwhile, peace, rest, joy forevermore is found in Jesus. So turn to the living and true God. Trust him. Trust that he will give you joy, that you will find rest in him. The Israelites spent (laughs) basically the whole Old Testament seeking rest, seeking to find rest. They they were going to enter the land that they might find rest. They were going to make it there and have this land flowing with milk and honey where God would give them rest. And they kept messing it up. They kept turning to idols or not taking all the land like they should have or um, not following God and, and bringing in other gods from all over the place, they ended up losing the land. And they didn't find ultimate rest. And then Jesus enters onto the scene. And he says, Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Yoke is easy and burden is light. <laughs> what are those? Um, he says, I will give you rest. And that's where we find it. We find rest in Jesus. And I know, so like, here's the thing. I was talking to a youth a few weeks ago. I know that I can say these words, and you'll be in agreement with me. You'll say, yeah, Jesus is where we find rest. Jesus is where we find joy. Cool. I'm still having trouble with this situation here. So how do I deal with that truth and this truth? How do I reconcile the two? Um. Paul talks about sanctification, this, this idea of becoming more like Christ as, as taking degree by degree. It's a slow process. It's a slow process. Um, it's not quick. It's not an easy fix. I know that these truths are true, and they're relevant, and they are firm. But I also know that sometimes life stinks, and it throws you situations where you're like, I know this is true about God, but right now I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. 
Like it's, it's, there's this disconnect between who, who God truly is and, and what your circumstances or situations are dictating. Uh, can I tell you in those moments to seek Jesus? Again, I know that that's easy to say and hard to live out sometimes, especially when it just like crashes down on you and you're like, I don't know what to do with that. Can I tell you to find rest in him? That, that he will give you joy in the middle of those circumstances? Here's how you do that. Seek his word. Be in his word. Be in prayer. Seek believers who will point you back to who Christ is, who will be like Job's friends in that they'll sit with you and listen to it, but won't be like Job's friends in that they'll curse God. <laughs> so you want half of that? Um, find those believers in this room who love the Lord, and because of that, they love you. They'll point you back to who Jesus is, this truth, this gospel, this life-changing power in the Spirit. We're not meant to go through difficulties alone. Uh, In fact, that was one of the first things that God said about man, remember? It is not good that man be alone. We see throughout Scripture this idea of brotherhood. Um, We see that there is much wisdom in the abundance of counselors and that two heads are better than one. And we see that we are, Galatians 6.1, we are called to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Be with each other, work together, fulfill this law of Christ, help each other turn from idols and serve the living and true God. They turn from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Uh, I tell the high schoolers this all the time, but there's not a lot of room on these scrolls, and so there's not a lot of wasted ink. So we don't just see things like this last verse and think Paul's just randomly spurting things out because he's Paul. No, Paul was intentional about this, led by the Holy Spirit, that he included this for a reason. And so we see this last verse here in 1 Thessalonians 1, and we see hope in the midst of affliction. To wait for his son from heaven. We're waiting expectantly for Jesus to return. We're waiting expectantly for Jesus to return. And he's coming back. He's coming back. He'll make all things right. As you look at the news and you see this world and what's going on, you know it's not good. But we serve a God who is. We serve a God who keeps his promises, who says that he will return and he will make all things new, redeeming creation back to himself. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't left us alone. He's returning. And he's coming back for his bride. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. God is going to pour out his wrath. That's true. He's going to pour out his wrath. But he's given us a way out. He poured out his wrath already once. He poured it out on his son. And he offers us deliverance from the wrath to come because of that truth. Look, we're all sinners. That's very clear in scripture. And if you want to try to fool yourself and think that you're not, look over your past 24 hours. You you sinned. You served yourself instead of Jesus. You were selfish. I was. I know myself. 
God poured out his wrath on his son, he's not going to spare you. So as hard as that is to hear, God's, Jesus is returning. He's coming back. God's wrath is coming. Paul says, Jesus saves us from the wrath to come. Jesus saves us from the wrath to come. So this wrath that's going to be poured out for us Christians, brothers and sisters in this room, we are saved from that wrath. Praise God. We are saved from the wrath to come. Uh, There's no fear. We don't have a reason to be afraid. Let me take that a step back and say, if you're in this room trying to justify yourself and say, I'm going to make it on my own, I'm not that bad of a person. What makes you think that God's going to pour out his wrath on his son and excuse you? His son who was blameless, guiltless, as professed by people like Pilate and Judas, even his enemies said this. He's pouring out his wrath. But thank God the story doesn't end there because he has given us a a savior something we call propitiation for our sins because God's wrath has already been poured out. There's no reason for us to endure that wrath because Jesus loved us enough to die for us. Save us from the coming wrath, to save us from these sins that we deserve to pay the price for. Jesus saves us from the wrath to come. He also says in here, Jesus was raised from the dead meaning we're also going to be raised from the dead. We're also going to be raised from the dead. Life doesn't end here. Uh, This isn't the final stop. In fact, we have eternity before us, where we will be raised with Christ, where we will be with Jesus forever, and things will be right. Let me go to application on the back of your notes. As we look through this passage, we see Paul pour out his heart, his love for these people, his encouragement for them, that they, they have preached the gospel. And Paul's blown away. He's like, even without me asking, that's insane. Um, they did it. It's like, it's like when you have kids, I'd imagine, and they start doing chores that you didn't ask them to do. You're like, what is going on? They got it. They're taking the trash out. What is happening? Um except on a much grander scale because people's lives are being changed and your trash isn't just being taken out. Um, Pause overflowing with this. Okay, application number one. Are you a person who should be imitated? Are you a person who should be imitated? As a follower of Jesus, this isn't something that we turn on and off. We don't come to church on Sundays and say, time to play Christian, or uh, come to Second Harvest and say, I'm going to show people that I work and do ministry. Or come to a wand and say, I want to be a good example tonight. This is constant. And if you live in this neighborhood, you know that because we just interact with the students, the kids next door all the time. Like you go to the store and they're there. And then you go to Costco and they're there. It's awesome. Um, but that's your life. Are you a person who should be imitated in every area? If not, what does God need to kill in your life? What does he need to take away? Have you borne your life before God? Have you shown him everything and said, please, Search my heart and know me. Try me and see. There's any imperfection leading me away from you. Ask God to search you and know you. Have you been doing the bare minimum of gospel work? Have you been doing the bare minimum of gospel work? 
I think we know what this is. I think we know what uh, question dodging is or missing opportunities on purpose so as to not embarrass ourselves. Paul in Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Have we been ashamed? Because Luke 9.24 tells us that if we're ashamed of God, he's going to be ashamed of us. Have we been ashamed? Next point, despite times of darkness, be reminded that there is joy found in the Holy Spirit. Be reminded there is joy found in the Holy Spirit. That we serve, as Hebrew says, a high, we don't serve a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every way has been tempted as we have, yet is without sin. So let us draw close to the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we serve a God who is able, a God who has conquered sin, who has defeated sin and death, and a Holy Spirit who gives us joy forevermore. Finally, this is kind of a wordy one. Any work we do is done for the glory of God and is enabled by him. Don't take credit for the work that God is doing in your life. Give him the praise, glory, and honor for that. Give him the praise, glory, and honor for that. I might have shared this story with you before. I don't know. The youth are telling me I'm repeating stories now. So uh, that's how old I am. Um, thank you, Lori. <laughs> Gotta laugh. Uh, I was um, at Biola in undergrad. And I was going toward my last semester, and I took interterm because the way I transferred in, I needed to make up about six units before my last semester. In this interterm, I had about 10 days, 14 days to make up six units. And, uh, yeah, some of you are like, oh, my gosh, dude, don't do that. So I'd go from 8 in the morning to about 6, and then we'd eat dinner with the last class, about 7, I, I guess about an 11-hour day, and then come home and do homework. And I'd just do that for two weeks. And I did that because I believed that's what God wanted me to do, and that's what I needed to do to finish on time and be a good steward of the resources and time I'd been given. And I was doing it, and I came toward the end, and I finished, and somebody asked me, they said, how did you do it? How did you finish? And I looked at them, and the words that came out of my mouth were, coffee. <laughs> um... Another one of those moments where you just get that like flood of conviction of the Spirit, where you're like, and you're like, oh my gosh. So God had me fast from coffee for three weeks. Um, I took I took the uh, glory and honor away from God, who enabled me to do something like that for His glory, for His purposes, and I gave it to coffee. <laughs> um, a really weird idol to serve, but uh, that's what I did in that moment. We do this. We do this in life all the time. How are you making it? I just need I just need a little more sleep, or I just have to. I have to do the work, or I just I just work hard. Uh, failing to realize that it's the Lord who sustains you, who enables you to do any of this, are we giving Him glory for that? The Thessalonians did. They turned from their false idols and served the living and true God, and gave Him glory all over Macedonia and Achaia. They went way south, two weeks journey. Maybe in Macedonia and Achaia, they didn't need to hear that coffee was doing good things for them. Maybe they needed to hear that the Lord was. So Village Bible Church, as we serve God even this week, do so with a heart that is sincere before him. Serve God knowing that it is he who deserves the glory and honor from your life. 
knowing that we do preach this gospel, this good news of Christ, not because we need to and we feel guilty about it, but because it's changed our lives. That we have new life in Christ. That we have been saved from sin and saved from the wrath to come. And we also hold good news that saves other people from that. We have the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead living in us. And so we know that this will be effective when we share it. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for uh, just the, the convicting truth of your word. That you are living and active. Lord, help us to share your good news. Help that to go forth. Change lives. Impact people. Help us to be people worth imitating. As we follow after you, Lord. Be with us all this week. Help us to turn from worthless things and to turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.